Welcome to the On the Air podcast, a companion to On the Air magazine, a new bi-monthly magazine from ARRL for beginner to intermediate ham radio licensees. I'm your host and the editor of On the Air magazine, Becky Schoenfeld, W1BXY. Every month, the On the Air podcast extends material found in On the Air magazine to help you learn about the many things the ham radio service and hobby has to offer. Welcome to the March 2020 episode. This month, we'll take a closer look at material from the March-April 2020 issue, including more information about feedline loss, as well as analog versus digital transceivers, and we'll get some insight into how to become a severe weather spotter with Skywarn. Let's get into it. The March-April 2020 cover article, Untangling Feedlines, presents an overview of the main types of feedline and how to choose one. One of the main factors in that decision is loss. Every type of feedline has some level of loss, meaning that some of the power that your transceiver sends into the feedline gets lost. It's converted into heat and goes away. And so you end up with less power reaching your antenna. Loss works the same way on the signals that are coming back to your radio from your antenna. There are several online feedline loss calculators that can help you decide which cable is best for your setup. As just one example, Harold Melton KV5R has a calculator at kv5r.com slash ham hyphen radio slash coax hyphen loss hyphen calculator. That calculator asks you to choose the type of feed line you're using, then enter the length of the line, your desired frequency, your SWR, and how much power you're running, and it'll calculate your loss in decibels and percent, as well as tell you how much power you're really running, as well as how much is likely to reach your antenna once loss is taken into account. The March-April article, The Digital Format Dilemma, introduces the three competing formats that digital transceivers are available in, D-Star, DMR, and System Fusion, and goes into some pros and cons to consider when choosing between a digital VHF transceiver and an analog FM model. One big difference between digital and analog is how they handle weak signals. Most of us know what an analog FM signal sounds like as it weekends. It gets noisy. On GTW at the Watertown EOC, has uh, anyone got us on the list? Uh, we checked in earlier at KC1. There was some static toward the end there, but you could still basically make out what was being said. So with analog FM, you still have a shot at communicating. Digital, on the other hand, behaves differently. When a digital signal weakens to the point where it can't be decoded, it just drops out. The signal falls off what's known as the digital cliff. Uh, this is a drill. The emergency test is in progress. Lots of activity on multiple vets. Digital EMR data on 2K. The DEC to give a brief update on their region. DEC 2, please go ahead. All those little skips and silences are because the digital signal got too weak for the radio to decode. So if you're thinking about going digital, think about whether you're prepared to go over the digital cliff. The article, Severe Weather Spotting, Six Questions Answered, presents an overview of what weather spotting is, how the information gets used, how hams can get involved, and what kind of equipment they need. It also includes an overview of Skywarn, 
which is a program of the National Weather Service, and Skywarn relies on volunteers to relay ground truth information during weather events. Rob Macedo, KD1CY, was kind enough to give us some more insight into what Skywarn does and how you can get involved. Rob is the Eastern Massachusetts Aries Section Emergency Coordinator and Skywarn Coordinator for the National Weather Service Boston Norton office. So thanks for coming on the podcast, Rob. What is Skywarn? So Skywarn is the National Weather Service's volunteer weather spotting program where timely severe weather reporting into the weather service during all kinds of weather hazards from severe thunderstorms and tornadoes to tropical storms and hurricanes to winter storms, blizzards, windstorms, flooding, etc. Those reports are, are timely and helpful for protecting life and property and helping with issuance of timely warnings and also verifying the warnings that the National Weather Service issues. It's a nationwide program. Uh, the program does not require folks to be an amateur radio operator, but one-third of all Skywarn spotters are amateur radio operators, and many folks that participate in Skywarn are more active when they are involved in amateur radio uh, for a wide variety of reasons uh, uh, associated with the capabilities of uh, amateur radio and, and what it does to uh, support the National Weather Service. So in order to be a severe weather spotter for Skywarn, you have to be trained, right? You can't just go do it. You have to have the training? That, that's correct. There's a training uh, program that is offered. It's uh, varying lengths. Some parts of the country, there's a basic and advanced weather spotting uh, course. Other places, it is done in uh, one uh, class session itself. It depends on the weather service office in the region of the country that uh, you live in. Um, there is also online training from Comet, but uh, that training, while very helpful and certainly worth taking, doesn't get you um, to be trained as a spotter. The spotter training itself to get you officially as a Skywarn spotter comes directly from the National Weather Service. And now, and depending on the Weather Service office, it could be a live class only, or it could be both a live class and a class you can take online as well. Again, that also depends on the Weather Service office uh, and your part of the country. You said that the classes vary in length. What's a time frame? What sort of time commitment can folks expect if they think they want to do the training? Uh, typically, I would say about you know two to two and a half hours. If it's a basic and advanced course, it might vary a little bit more, but uh, we would say uh, max it out between uh, two and two and a half hours for a basic class and similarly for an advanced class. It'll, again, it depends on the weather service office, how they divide up the material, and if they add additional material if they're doing two different courses. And what kind of material is covered in the course? So the material, you know, if it's a basic type of class or in kind of one session, it, it really talks about the reporting criteria for all the various weather hazards. There's certainly sections that are more in-depth on the key characteristics to spot for severe thunderstorms and tornadoes, um, how to measure snowfall, what equipment you'd need for measuring uh, rainfall, uh, types of criteria they're looking for in terms of damage reports for uh, trees down, wires down, uh, that sort of thing, uh, measuring uh, ice attrition, depending on the part of the country that you live in. Also, actual uh, wind measurements uh, and actually reporting what criteria winds to uh, report in at if you have a weather station. Those are the types of things that are, are explained in a Skywarn class. So it gives you both the criteria as well as the key cloud features to identify 
particularly when looking at severe thunderstorms and tornadoes. You mentioned a weather station. Does a ham have to have a weather station set up in order to be a, a storm spotter, or can they do that without a weather station? No, a spotter does not require a weather station. Uh, a lot of times, folks that are spotting may run into a thunderstorm and 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 see hail in the thunderstorm, and all they need there is their eyes and be able to give a rough estimate or even, if it's safe to do so, measure the hail and report in that hail size to the Weather Service, as an example. They could be driving up in an area and see flooded roads and, and, and report that condition or road closures due to flooding or road closures due to wind damage. So sometimes all the spotter needs is their their eyes to be able to report in. And, and arguably, in our coverage area, we've even had folks that are blind amateurs participate in Skywarn, and they support things by being a net control operator. Uh, our uh, Hartford Town County Skywarn coordinator in Connecticut, Roger Jean Favor, is a blind amateur who's been involved in the program for many years as a net control and helping to coordinate the operation. So there's many different ways you can help. It doesn't require a weather station, and, and even folks that are are visually impaired and can't necessarily spot can help in other ways by using amateur radio and being able to uh, use radio skills to help support those that can spot uh, and actually report in their conditions. Rob, you mentioned closed roads, size of hail, things like that. Now, storm spotting is not storm chasing. In the Skywarn training, is there a component of teaching spotters how to be safe when they're out in these situations and they they want to be of assistance, they want to be of service, but they may also need to keep safe as well? Absolutely. So um, it is stressed in the spotter training that we don't want people putting themselves in harm's way to get a report. So a lot of cases we're explaining the safe parts of storms to observe in how to look at areas that the storm may impact it after, shortly after it's passed so that it's safe for the person to see what's happening. And, you know, in some of the cases I talked about where people may spot flooded roads or hail in their travels, they're just traveling and they're in, in it, it could be in their normal course of day to and from work. And they're also on their amateur radio and they just happen to see these conditions and observe them. A lot of times that's when folks observe some of, of these things are not really chasing. It's just the storm was in their path and they, they happen to hit that area. Uh, and, and so we talk a little bit about observing in those cases and also areas, if there are storms in the area, how to avoid the, the worst areas where we don't want people putting themselves in harm's way for a report, even though a report from that affected area may be valuable. So, Rob, what can you tell me about why a ham radio operator might want to get trained to be a severe weather spotter? Why might a ham want to be involved in Skywarn? So there's a number of different uh, facets that may drive a person's interest. Uh, one may be they have an interest in weather, helping public safety uh, it, it, with their weather interest. Uh, some may just view it as valuable for the community and that public service to be able to uh, help out in that capacity. Uh, another factor is a lot of our disasters that require an amateur radio response for either communications overload or communications outage could be driven by the weather, by severe weather. And so being a spotter and observing those conditions and reporting in on them to help with the warning process, help with telling people what's actually happening on the ground, providing that situational awareness for both emergency management and the public and even the media 
can then give that, the media and other sources greater confidence to say what's really happening in certain areas, which can in turn help save lives and property because it's not something that's being detected by radar or satellite imagery. It's something that's actually being observed on the ground. So, uh, again, it could be just simply community service interest for their own and for their own interest in weather safety. It could be they're actually very interested in the weather and want to use those skills to help the community and to help response agencies in a, in a, in a disaster with that information. Uh, so there's a lot of different reasons folks get involved in the in the program, and uh, it's a, a great way to showcase amateur radio's capabilities uh, during a time where public service and community service help is is important. Well, that's great. So if someone wants to get involved, how do they find out where to go get training? So I would suggest folks go to weather.gov and. Uh, they can find themselves on the map and click on the Weather Service Office coverage area, and each office should have a Skywarn page where you can find out more if they're offering training in the area, if there are other amateur radio groups that may be involved with their National Weather Service supporting operations both at the Weather Service and out in the field. Weather.gov is the great place to start, and then they can find their coverage area that they belong in and then learn about training sessions and amateur radio activity uh, in the area. So uh, that's the best way to kind of get more involved in the program. And uh, depending on the location and area, as as we stated, the training can be differed, whether it's one or two classes uh, uh, and also how much they are offered in a particular area can depend on the the weather service office and the coverage area that they're in and the population density of that given coverage area. All right. Very good. Well, thanks so much for all this good information, Rob, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me and happy weather spotting to folks and hope everyone uh, takes an interest in Skywarn. It's a great program. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, which took a deeper dive into material from the March-April 2020 issue of On the Air magazine. The On the Air podcast will be back in April to build on more content from the issue. In the meantime, feel free to send comments about On the Air to ota at arrl.org, read our blog at arrl.org slash ota hyphen blog, or learn more about ARRL membership at ARRL.org. Until next time, I'm your host, Becky Schoenfeld, W1BXY, 73.